And on the other side of the room, I hear a voice that says, well, somebody woke up feeling saucy this morning. It was Taylor Swift. She had heard this entire interaction with this yeah. PR person. Me not thinking Taylor Swift would have any care in the world what I was saying to her publicist on the other side of a room. Yeah. And from that point forward, Taylor Swift put the walls up. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep this to yourself. Share these inspiring stories with your friends, invite them to subscribe, and connect with us on social media. So today, I have Joe. How do you say your last name? I don't want to butcher it. Yeah, part of Vila. Yeah, I know you're sensitive about names. So yeah, so it's Joe Part of Vila. Part of Vila. Okay, Part of Vila. And you work in the podcasting industry and you come from a background in radio. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So uh, I was a kid, uh, sort of like you, uh, family of immigrants. My uh, my mom was a Cuban refugee. My father was a sailor from Spain, met here in the 60s, had a couple of kids in the 70s. And me and my brother always were kind of like the different kids, like whereas other kids wanted to play sports, we wanted to talk about sports. Where other people were acting, we wanted to talk about acting. So, uh, our, and, our, and fortunately for both of us, our careers veered in that way. So when I went to, to college, I didn't know that what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to be in show business. But again, with my background, didn't know any contacts. And Joe and I, as you know, in the entertainment business, it's not really what you know, it's who you know. So didn't really yeah. have any sort of contacts to get me in through the door. So I go to college, state school in New Jersey called William Patterson. And at the time, they'd built this high-tech, state-of-the-art enter- entertainment complex with TV studios and radio studios. And so first day on the campus, I go down to the TV studio. I go like, I want to be on TV. And they're like, well, we're going to put freshmen on TV. I'm like, well, okay. So I walk down the hall to the radio studio and I go, I want to be on the radio. And they're like, what time you want to go on? So that's how my introduction to radio happened. So I, I started uh, working at the college radio station, really enjoyed it. But then I had an epiphany in my sophomore year where I was like, how do I know if I'm going to like doing this for a living? Because I think that's the mistake a lot of people, and, and, and I've come to learn over the course of my career, that people wait too long to try internships or even just like take part-time jobs in industries that they one day may want to do it full-time. So during my sophomore year, I'm like, I'm going to get an internship, see if I like this. I apply to a couple. I go. I end up interning at this one radio station called WPLJ. It was in New York for 40-something years. And started just working my way up through the company in terms of like driving the van around, going to promotions, helping out here and there. And that one decision sort of fueled me into dropping out of college because what happened is after my one-year internship, they said, hey, listen, we got to fill this position on the promotion department. Um, You're not going to be able to go to school. You're going to have to do this full time, but we really like what you do. Would you be willing to drop out of school? And I thought about it for maybe three seconds. And I said, yeah, I'll drop out of school. And the rest was history. I ended up spending the next 24 years there because of that choice to drop out of school and start my radio career while I was still, I think I was, I think I wasn't even like, I think I might've been 20 at the time. And, uh, it was just the best decision I ever made. And I was never one to love college. I kind of use college as sort of a utility to get me through the door in terms of like learning about the stuff because the high school I went to, I was in suburban New Jersey tonight and we were lucky to have a basketball team, let alone like an AV department or anything like that. So my only hands-on training has been, this is the nineties This is before you can have a MacBook full with Adobe audition and high tech audio equipment uh, that you had to do it in a studio. And so luckily for me, making that choice of going to college first and then finding my way into a professional setting, that's what sort of launched me into a career in radio. Wow, that what a cool story. So if you could create a blueprint of your success to pass on to someone without a college degree, what would it look like? What 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 should they do? What should they not do? Yeah. And I so I this question I get a lot tonight. I'm sure you get a lot of the same questions as well. And the one thing I always say, and I it sounds so simple, and you probably use this kind of advice too, is like just do it. And I know that Nike probably uses that. I think I'm sure I think that's a Nike thing, but just do the thing you want to do. I have a neighbor whose daughter, she's in high school and she wants to go into photography and filmmaking. And she, she, she says to me, 
how do I how do I start? Because I've I've dabbled in short films and stuff yeah. like that. And like, just make something, just yeah. do it. So if you want a career in radio or podcasting, as many people know. Now the it's such a low barrier of entry to get into podcasting to learn about it, not necessarily make a living out of it, but just to learn the tangible skills required and to put in those, you know, Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours is just to do it. And especially in a in, in any kind of field where you're creating content, whether it's a writer, podcaster, filmmaker, like you're never going to learn until you actually do the thing. There's all these schools that will charge you hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it, but at the end of the day just doing it sort of begins your journey to, to eventually making a living out of doing whatever you love doing. I love that advice because I'll add on to that. Just do it. But I also think the other thing is just start. Mm. Right? That's something that I, I always tell a lot of people because, okay, you're uh, the f- family friend that wants to be a photographer. And how do you get started? Okay, look, even from your phone, how do you take a good photo? Start going on YouTube. Like, what is lighting? Start playing around with that pro camera setting. What are the different things? Start looking at other people who take their photos. Okay, how can I recapture that? What did they do? Was there editing involved? And look, the first few are not going to be that good. But after a few weeks, you'll realize that you're way better than the average person. And then you keep on doing it. You keep on putting some time into it. And you'll get a lot better. And I think things now are so much more accessible, right? There are whole channels dedicated to starting and especially like a podcast, you know, people like, hey, you want to break into radio? I was like, look, if you don't know anyone, why don't you start your own podcast? You know, have some things, understand, you know, listen to other podcasts, see what they're doing, see what you you like, what you don't like. And again, you have to do it. It's, you just have to get that experience because now when you go and you go apply for jobs and you go talk to someone or when you're networking, they see, wow, this person has passion. This person is actually doing something. They have just a bunch of raw talent. They have a bunch of minimal equipment and they're getting stuff done. Imagine if they had resources uh, or just more access to people. Yeah, and I think the, a mindset too, Janai, in terms of the the starting process is start something that you're going to love, obviously, but almost treat it like a job. Even yeah. though you're not going to be making money of it, money for years, it or maybe maybe shorter, maybe months, whatever, whatever. But you have to treat it like profession. Whether it's your hobby podcast, whether it's making films, whether it's making content online, you have to treat it with a professional mindset. Where it's like, okay, I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to do a podcast every week, no matter what else happens in my life. I will do that one podcast every week. And I spoke to Jarek Robbins uh, a little while ago. He's Tony Robbins kid. And he gave me this great advice for folks who are just starting out something, do that thing 100 times, but don't listen to the first 70 things you do. Like just do it. Like if you want to be a social media influencer, make 100 videos, but don't even look at the first 70 because they're going to be terrible. Yeah. Start looking at those last 20 and 30. Like, okay, cool. Now I finally got it. Especially if it's something you're doing from scratch. Like you wake up one day, I want to be a podcaster. I want to be an influencer. I want to be a writer. Whenever you start, unless you are one of these prodigies that are just born with like immense skill and could do it out of the womb. God bless you for those people, because I'm not one of those folks. But if you're able to put in the time and have that sort of professional mindset where you like, hey, even though I'm not getting paid, I this is my passion and I want to do it well. Yeah, it, it's so important for people to do that because I actually started creating more video content with my friend. And he was like, look, we've been at it three weeks. And he's like, we're so much better. We feed off each other better. And too many people I've seen, it's like they'll start and they they have this perfectionist mindset and then they stop. And I was listening to a podcast or I was watching a TikTok video and someone was saying that they had two groups. One group had to just produce one video as good as they can and another group had to produce like 30 or 50 Mm -hmm. over the course. And the group that had the 30 or 50, on average, they had the better videos because through the process, you get better, you learn more. And if you try to perfect one thing, it's like without getting actual feedback from people, You don't know what that is, right? It takes time. And even people who've been doing it for years, they still have to experiment and try new things. Yeah. And what they say, perfection is the enemy of good. Enemy of progress. Like, yeah, yeah. progress. Perfect. Yeah. Enemy of progress, enemy of good. Done is better than perfect. And I, I tell all those people because I, I've known so many perfectionists, they just don't get anything done, right? They'll have so much knowledge. They'll have more knowledge than people sometimes who do it. But it's all theoretical They don't experiment and they don't get something done. So now, before we go into more of your story, hey, are you frustrated with your job search? 
Are you sending out resume after resume with no callbacks? If so, I have some good news. After three years of helping over 400 people land jobs at places like Meta, HubSpot, Google, Twitter, Amazon, Tesla, Disney, Sony, just to name a few, I created a course. In the Get Your Dream Career course, you'll discover best practices for creating a resume that stands out, and you'll also learn how to optimize your job search. It covers every aspect of the job, including resumes, application strategy, networking, LinkedIn profile optimization, interview guidance, and salary negotiation. You will also get a behind-the-scenes view of how recruiters use LinkedIn to find candidates. And of course, you'll get resume and cover letter templates. Get one step closer to your dream job. Sign up at the link in the notes below. What's the salary range for someone that wants to do the same thing as you? Yeah, so I would say the salary starts from zero to $100,000. I mean, it's it's really that large a gap because uh, especially for, from my day job, I work at Forbes Books in Charleston, South Carolina. We uh, produce podcasts. Well, originally we write books for entrepreneurs all over the world, but we've now added podcasts in the last couple of years. And I'm producing upwards of, right now I'm at about 20 podcasts currently that I'm producing. So wow, that's uh, commiserate to what I get paid. If I was only producing one podcast, I would not make as much as I would make. Yeah. So I think it's important to, to realize that if you decide to do a podcast and your podcast is what it's all about and you don't have time or the energy to do different things, there's going to be days where basically you're, I think, Jordan, I think we've talked about this in the past way, you're taking a hit. Like you're not making any money at all. You're losing yeah. money in the, in the process of doing something, but obviously it's going to help you in the long run. So when you're doing a singular show, man, you're going to be sinking a lot of your own money into it. Whereas if you decide to do a singular show and then maybe, oh, on the side, I'm going to do some editing for this guy, or I'm going to, I'm going to produce this podcast for this person. Um, I think being able to use multiple talents, especially for podcasting, because I think a lot of folks, and I think this happened in legacy media too, is like they find their one lane and that's all they want to do. Like, I want to be a host. That's all I want to do. I don't want to learn how to edit. I don't want to learn how to market my podcast. I don't want to know how to do sound design. I just want to be the host. Well, again, if you're one of these prodigies that came out of the womb as a great podcaster, that's wonderful. But for everyone else, we've got to really get our hands dirty and work. The analogy I always use is Joe Rogan did not sign a $100 million deal with Spotify because one day he decided to do a podcast. He did yeah. a thousand podcasts before Spotify went and called them. Yeah. And before that, he also was a comedian. He also did a lot of things. So a lot of people don't realize that a lot of people who are good at podcasting they come from a background where they've done a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I live streamed a lot. So people are like, oh, you're such a natural. And it's like, look, I, I went to Toastmasters for like six, seven years. Mm. So it's like, just realize that you have to keep building your skills and it will never hurt you. And you know the stat. I think like 90% of podcasts end before like seven episodes. Yep. And then 99, I think it's 99% end before 21 episodes. And it's the reality that most people think, hey, I'm going to start. Yes, you have to just start. That's the first big hurdle. But you also have to continue it. You have to think about, am I going to do this for one, two years? And you have to get your hands dirty. Like, I don't necessarily edit, but I do the marketing. So you can't just be the host in a lot of these creative industries. You have to have other skills because the only way not having other skills is you got to dish out money. So it's like, yeah, it's one or the other. And if you're, you have to make money from somewhere else. Maybe it's your day job. So you really have to think about how you want to tackle it. Yeah. And I think expectations is a big thing, Junaid. And this is one thing that I always tell folks when they want to start a podcast. And you have to look at expectations two ways. One are the expectations of your time and to the expectations of your community. Because I don't like to use the word audience because it's too much. It's too broad. Because uh, yeah. you have to start. Uh, and you know as well as anybody, you have to start with a niche because the the riches are in the niches, as yeah. they say. Um, so the first part, expectations for yourself. Like how much time do you have for this this project? For If it's podcast. If you think, man, there's no way I could do a weekly podcast for you. There's no way I can fathom doing 52 podcasts in a year. Fine. Think about your podcast as a TV series. A TV series has a finite number of episodes. Treat your podcast like that. Say, I have time to do 10 podcasts. Great. 
Season one of my podcast is going to be 10 episodes. Then I'm going to take a break. Season two, I've got time. I've got more energy. I know what I'm doing. I'll do another 10. And that's how you think about it. Because you, ta- you were talking about the 90%. It's the pod fade as, as, as it's come to know. Like all of a sudden you're listening to a podcast and then one day it just stops without any explanation. To avoid the dreaded pod fade, if you give yourself structure in terms of what you're able to produce and do it at a really high level, that will help you give you goals. It'll help you put structure to what you're doing. And the second part, expectations for your community. If you want to build a community, they're going to want content from you. And if you don't deliver, they're going to tune out. They'll find yeah. someone else. There's 100 million podcasts out there. If you decide to take two months off of doing a podcast, you drop two podcasts and then take two months off, your audience is not going to be like, Oh man, I wonder where that next podcast. I'm just I'm not going to listen to anything else until they deliver another podcast. No, people don't do that. So if you can give the audience expectations of what your what your output is going to be, that is how you build that strong community. And then after say you do season 1 of, of 10 episodes, then your audience will know, "Cool, man, I can't wait till the next season starts." You you, you do the marketing side where you promote and you say, "Hey, Coming up this 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 fall, my new season of podcast starting. Boom, and you're ready to go. Um, so I think expectations are really really important when it comes to starting any kind of creative endeavor because unless that creative endeavor is your full time thing, if you're really well off, you've got a nice <laughs> you got some a nice chunk of savings in your pocket, and you can do that as a full time sort of hobby for lack of a better word. Cool, but most of us can't do that. Most of us yeah. have jobs, families, life. Find find that sort of hole in your life that you can fill in terms of like, okay, I know Monday afternoons, I'm pretty easy. I'm breezy. I could do my one podcast every Monday. And then we all have time. You know, this whole thing of we're all too busy. No, we're not all that busy. We're busy because it makes us feel good that we could tell people that we're busy. But yeah. most of us, if there's something that really drives us to do it, we'll find the time to do it. So true. So true. You will make time for it. And now let's go back to your story. So you got your first job. How was it? Oh, it was unbelievable. So when I first started as an intern, I essentially was like the kid driving around the van, handing out t-shirts. And during this time as an intern, um, I would host events. And one day, one of the morning show producers saw me doing this hosting thing. And they're like, hey, you're pretty good. You know, if we ever have an opening, you know, we'd love to have you on the morning show. I'm like, cool. That sounds like fun to me. So uh, eventually, after about a year, the morning show rebooted their whole support staff, and they hired me as a phone op. So I would essentially sit in a phone in a little closet, essentially, no windows, uh, taking phone calls from listeners. And after a while, I started becoming more useful to the hosts. So this is early days of the internet. This is before you had information at your fingertips. Yeah. And every time a question about pop culture or something in the world of entertainment, movies, whether it's like an old movie or new movie would come up, they would come and ask me. They'd be like, hey, who's the name of that one guy in that one thing? And I would know who the guy is in that one thing. And slowly but surely, my role went from being locked in this little windowless office to not being able to leave the studio. Like literally positioned between the two hosts because anytime they had a question, they would each turn to me and I would help answer it. And my role continued to develop. I had more responsibilities, doing more things. And just as time went on, I learned so much about radio because at that point, I just knew kind of like how to push buttons and the basics of it. But to be able to learn from two people, like the two hosts, one of them is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The other was like a guy who was like a WWE announcer for like a decade. Super talented guys. If you can surround yourself around talented people and just sponge them. Uh, I would say I didn't graduate from college, but I went to the school of Scott and Todd because those are the names of the two hosts. I learned so much from those guys, just gleaning as much information, growing as a professional. And then I grew internally, but also externally because they kept giving me more jobs. I eventually became the executive producer and co-host of the, of the show after a long time. And it was one of those things where I, I, I like to call it like the innocent climb. Like we all have to take these steps to succeed. And I just was, you know, the word grind is kind of overused now, but I just kind of just like worked hard. And eventually, like if, if you work hard enough and you show people around you that you're hungry and want to do more, 
the more you do that, the more you grow and then more responsibilities come your way. And so that was my journey. I just sort of like started from the bottom and worked my way up. I was like a Drake song, you know, I just, yeah. I, I definitely just kind of kept doing it and doing it. And I just love the fact that, especially when you do anything creative, it's not just the one thing. There's so many more things to it. So I learned how to interview people, prepare for interviews, how to talk to people, how to, how to write a parody song, how to, how to write a comedy sketch, all these things that came about from just me starting as a phone operator turned into so much more. Wow, that's crazy. So it was, it was phone operator. Now you're like the personal Google on the yeah, show. Yes. Right. And then what happened next? So after you're the personal Google, what was the next step? So then I essentially became an on-air personality. I became part of the show. I became part of the fabric of the content, whereas I took more of a uh, front-facing role as opposed to being behind the scenes. And that was sort of where I think I finally felt like my I found my place because I, like I mentioned you, like I always wanted to be in show business, always wanted to be in entertainment, but you know, I was still just doing the behind the scenes work. And then eventually because of the time I put in and all of that, I learned, I learned what it was like to be a broadcast professional to the importance of being on time, the importance of showing up, the importance of doing your homework, like really knowing things. And that's sort of just always been my bag, but I think it's not, I think now we kind of take it for granted that all our information is, is readily found. But when you're having a live conversation with someone, you can't be like, oh, hang on one second. Let me just Google that real quick. Yeah, yeah. In radio and television, you can't do that. You have to really be on top of things and learn whatever whatever that subject matter that you're 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 focused on. You gotta know everything about it. And I just made that I just made a habit of just being like an information junkie. Like my, I always said, you know, I was on the air from six to ten. But my job was 24-7. I was constantly looking for content, whether it was content in my own life, content that was in the media, content of just like seeing someone walking across the street and noticing something, like just always keeping your eyes open for content was just sort of my jam. Like that's that's how I lived. I just loved it. And uh, and it was just, just an amazing experience. And I did that for over 20 years. And then in 2019, my radio station, which was owned by Cumulus Media, um, it's the, as you know, a lot of traditional media companies are struggling for ad dollars and such. And the only way many radio stations could make money is if they were sold. So ours, our company sold uh, WPLJ to a Christian broadcasting company called EMF. They're sort of based out of uh, Sacramento, but they essentially play like Jesus rock. Like it's yeah. like Christian rock and roll music. So I, my running joke is that I was fired by Jesus and, uh, <laughs> Right after that is when I made the, the pivot full-time to working in podcasts, and I was hired to uh, work with Forbes Books. But I will say, I'll backtrack just slightly. When I was at PLJ working terrestrial radio, I saw the writing on the wall for podcasting, and I really got invested into learning the ins and outs of podcasting. So I was doing a podcast while I was also doing terrestrial radio. So by in the morning, I was doing the show, and then in the evenings, I was doing a sex science podcast just because I just wanted to get more experience in the podcast game. And that was able to merge those two worlds me doing my little podcast and then also the full-time terrestrial radio job to then take this job at Forbes Books where I make entrepreneurs, CEOs, I prepare them to be podcasters because one thing I took for granted was all those skills we've been talking about that I learned, most people don't have that experience, that, that just years and years of doing this one thing. And so I took a lot of the skills I learned and started teaching them to folks who were way more successful than I am, multimillionaires, but they, as successful as they were, they had no idea how to do a podcast, how to be a host, how to interview someone. Um, so yeah, so that's essentially what I do day to day here. And uh, that's sort of what led me to write a book about my experiences because I, I figured out that, you know, not only maybe our clients could probably use some advice from me, but maybe like people out there who are just starting a podcast or just need help communicating could, can work on. When did you first get introduced to podcasting? Because podcasting is is interesting. I've met mm -hmm. some people who had podcasts from like 2006, right? Like the original RSS feed. And these are very technical people. When did you see like, hey, you know what? I got to make the transition to podcasting because things are going to change, right? And this is really taking over. Yeah. So it's funny. I think podcasts, and you and I joked about this before, Janai. It's it's like LinkedIn. When LinkedIn first started, people were like, "What is this? You're getting these random emails." Yeah. You might LinkedIn, and for me and folks in in traditional media, podcasting was that thing. It's like, what is this podcast thing? What like it's just some guy in their closet recording. Like, what's going on here? Though the when I realized that it was going to be a thing was when 
all of the major traditional uh, broadcasters, whether it's the iHearts, CBS's, Cumulus, ABC, Disney, what have you, when they started using their terrestrial and traditional media people for podcasts, I was like, wait a minute. If these companies that their bread and butter is either terrestrial radio or cable television, if they realize how important it is to have a podcast for all these types of shows, I was like, that's where I saw the writing wall. I'm like, if these companies are putting all their money and energy behind a thing, that's really not part of their vertical. It's sort of like if Coca-Cola one day decided to make sandwiches, like yeah. it wouldn't make any sense because you're all of a sudden taking what you do best and putting it in this different box. Uh, and then, so when I realized that they were doing that, I was like, oh shit, I need to, I need to know as much about this as possible. Wow. That, I mean, that's smart. Cause I think sometimes people just hold on and they're like, ah, oh, this is a fad and all that. Mm. But it's like, things are changing, right? I think now a lot of kids, like they want to grow up to be YouTubers, right? And they, yeah. they don't like watch sports the same way because yeah. things are changing, right? That's a great they, example tonight. I want to tell you, uh, when I was growing up in radio, you, you had to sort of like work your way up to big markets. So if you, if you were born and raised in, I don't know, Columbus, Ohio, and if you want to be a big time radio personality, you had to work your way up through other cities to work to get to New York or LA yeah. or Chicago. And over time, you start you stop seeing that because what happened was uh, because of deregulation, more radio companies were now broadcasting their top talent to smaller markets. So there were fewer jobs available for kids to grow up into. Yeah. Because that rate that local radio station in Sheboygan had Ryan Seacrest in the morning doing his show from LA. So it wasn't a, no longer a local guy. And so I remember one person said to me, they said, so who's the next great radio talent? I'm like, there isn't the next great radio talent is on YouTube there. They've got a YouTube show or now eventually TikTok. But that's what happened was that these folks who weren't able to do that sort of, you know, innocent climb that I talked about earlier, working, working their way up the chain, uh, so to speak, that, since that didn't exist and the power of technology was in the palm of their hand, these people didn't have to grind it out and go to like a small town in Texas to eventually become a big radio or TV star. They could just do it themselves. And that's where I think the technology piece really plays a major part because none of this, all everything we're talking about does not exist without the technology that we have at hand. The fact that you and I are having this virtual podcast where we sound we're, like we're in the same room, yet we're hundreds of miles away, that wasn't possible 15, 20 years ago, like it, yeah. it would be, it was like a fantasy. And the fact that we're here now, the power's in the people. And so you yeah. don't have to do the grind it from, from the bottom all the way up. You could just do it yourself. And you know, the funny thing is even the news, right? Like they'll have people in their home and they're a home bookcase or whatever. Yeah. And they do that. So it, it's really cool. So how is podcasting different from traditional radio? Like, what are some th new things that you had to learn? Yeah, I think presentation is the big part. So, when, especially coming from morning radio, where big part of our job was to help people wake up, give them the information they want, entertain them on the way to work. You know, we're in New York City, so you might have heard the traffic in New York's bad. Yeah. Uh, so, sometimes the commute to work sucks. Um, so, we were there to be, um, we were there, we were sort of like audio caffeine. Our we were our, our our sort of presentation was big and loud. I wouldn't say shock jockish, but like definitely high energy because that's what our role was. Our role was to deliver information, entertain people, but help them wake up in the morning. With podcasting, it's really more of that, which is kind of funny because for years AM radio was like, oh god, AM radio is old timey. But if you think about it, if you're old enough to remember this, AM radio and podcasting today are exactly the same. It's it's long form conversations. It's really cool and collected, and no one's screaming unless you listen to a podcast where they scream. But most people are just having conversations. So the presentation was a big part of it for me. Like I knew I didn't have to be so much in the audience's face because it was more of a it was more of a one on one experience. So I think that's where for me, the transition was important, like th to make that jump. Like I didn't feel like I wanted to change my personality because the way I'm speaking to you is the way I speak off the mic or I'm speaking to my neighbor or speaking to my dog. It's I'm, I'm very enthusiastic, but when it came to the way I delivered my enthusiasm, I, I had to find that sweet spot where it wasn't too much when it came to podcasting, because 
you really, really must think about it as you're speaking to one person. This is one thing I consult a lot of my clients with is everyone feels like when they're doing a podcast, they're like, hey, everybody, hey, everyone listening out there. There yeah. isn't a group of 100 people gathered around a radio <laughs> listening to your podcast. It's one person. Mm. So when you're communicating in podcasting, and this is something that's important if you're a broadcaster in terrestrial radio too, you never want to say, how's everybody doing? Hope everyone's doing a great job because there's only one person listening to you at that time. That's how you have to think about it. Um, so that's, and that's the way how sort of like terrestrial podcast dovetails where you have to keep it as, as intimate as possible and really keep that one-on-one -on -one connection. Yeah. And that one-to-one -one connection, you'd be surprised at how powerful it is because I've met thousands of people in person, right? Some of them have listened to my podcast. So I'll go to conferences and be like, yeah, I listen to your podcast. And it's like, they know me. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea who they are. And I'll be nice. I'll be like, yeah, that's cool. Which episode? And we'll have a conversation. But it's so much easier because we're not starting from zero, right? I may not know enough about them, but I know that I have some background. They're trying to level up their career. They're trying to go all that. And then they'll follow me on Twitter. And it's about having that conversation. Because when I'm making these things, I, I'm thinking, what does the person listen to it right now? What does that person want to learn about? Yeah. What do they care about? And what would they ask? Right? What's the information that they would ask? So now, what are some of the mistakes that you've personally made? What in life? Can you be in a little in podcasting <laughs> in podcasting and radio? Like, what were some things like? Hey, you know what? Uh, I I should have done it differently. And you know, everybody makes mistakes. It's just a part oh, of your God. career. A lot of them. I mean, um, so in my book, Good Listen, uh, I wrote about my Taylor Swift story. So um, years ago, Taylor Swift. I think this was after her 1989 album came out. Uh, was coming to our radio studio. And this is around the time where a lot of radio stations were um, video recording their their interviews and then posting them on their social media or on their, their station websites and stuff. And Taylor Swift's uh, PR company or handlers or what have you said, we have one rule when it comes to recording uh, interviews. You can record the first five minutes of the conversation. Yeah. You mean we can post five minutes of the conversation? Okay, cool. No, no, no. You record the first five minutes of the conversation. Now, Janai, you know as well as I do, you've been doing podcasts a long time. You've been talking to a lot of people for a long time. The first five minutes of a conversation always suck. Yeah, it's yeah. Usually small talk. It's like pitter-patter. How's it going? What's going on in your life? It's bullshit. And so this really ticked me off. And uh, I, was, I was stewing. It was like a week before. I was just yeah. stewing all week. So the morning comes. Taylor Swift walks in. Her entourage walks in. And uh, the PR person does a beeline straight to the videographer who's about two or three feet away from me. And she goes, hey, just a quick reminder at the five minute mark, I'm going to tap you on your shoulder and then you're ha you'll have to drop the camera. They didn't even trust us to turn the camera off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They fit you we physically had to lower the camera. Yeah, yeah. And so as I mentioned, I was really stewing about this for a week. So after the, the PR person says that to the videographer, I said, oh, just a quick question. What if at the five-minute mark, we have a follow-up question? Would we be able to keep recording so we capture that, that follow-up? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see what we could do. You know, it's not going to be too specific. I'm like, okay, cool. And I said, but wait, what if we had a follow-up question to that first follow-up question? Would it be okay if we kept recording? And at this point, the, the publicist is like confused. She's like, yeah, I mean, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, me, I'm not one to leave well enough alone, Jonaid. I said, and one more thing. What if we have a follow-up question to the second follow-up question that follows up the first follow-up question? Would we continue, to, would we still be able to record? And the you should have seen the publicist. It was as if, like, her eyes were, like, in, like, a googly eye thing. They, she yeah. was, like, spinning all around, didn't know how to handle it, how to an answer it. And on the other side of the room, I hear a voice that says, well, somebody woke up feeling saucy this morning. It was Taylor Swift. She had heard this entire interaction with this yeah. PR person. Me not thinking Taylor Swift would have any care in the world what I was saying to her publicist on the other side of a room. Yeah. And from that point forward, Taylor Swift put the walls up. She was on the defense of the entire interview because she thought this guy is a dick. I don't know what they're going to ask me. So I'm just going to give generic answers. I'm going to be polite. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not expected to go. And I'm just going to do my thing. And then once we're done, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm done. 
And this was a lesson I learned that I felt was really important for my career. And I think it's important for anyone listening to this or who, who reads my book is when you're trying to connect with another person, whether it's a podcast, whether it's in business, whether it's in your life, if you don't create an environment that is welcoming and safe, I know that's kind of a loaded word, but if it's not welcoming or safe, people are not going to feel comfortable sharing their thoughts and dreams and ideas. And I took it off. I just didn't think about that in the moment. I put my ego above everything else. Like I was so worried about this stupid video that would probably be viewed a couple thousand times. It would just been a, a drop in the bucket in the career of, of Taylor. So no one would probably even watched it, but I was so intent in getting my point across that I, we, that we're, this was insulting that we could only allow it to record five minutes of it. It was just bullshit. And what it did was it sort of torpedoed the interview. So what the, our goal of having Taylor Swift there was to have a great interview, have a great chat. Hopefully the audience and hopefully her fans would really like the chat. Instead, me being a dick made her defensive and the podcast, well, well interview turned out to be really lame because all I was thinking about was myself. So super important for people that if you're trying to ask someone an important question, maybe you're, maybe you're a salesperson or maybe you're just trying to make a move in your company. If other people aren't safe speaking to you or communicating with you, sharing with you, you'll, you'll never be able to get anything out of that person, whether it's money, whether it's a favor, whether it's something that could help you in your career, it's never going to work unless people are comfortable speaking to you. No, that's, that's so true. And I found that they have their own reasons for whatever they do it. And it's like sometimes diving deeper just makes you angrier or whatever. Or maybe it's a genius move, right? Maybe it is something that they, for whatever reason, that they do. Now, looking back at your career, what would you say you're most proud of? I'm really proud of the fact that I kind of, and I don't want to say like it was all me, but like I really did it on my own. Like no one ever gave me no one threw me a bone. No one, all, all I needed was an opportunity and I, and I, and I ran with it. And so I think that I'm really proud of the fact that I kind of had this working class mentality. I mean, one of my jokes is that, you know, I, I, I'm a blue collar guy in a white collar world. Like I'm working amongst people that are much smarter, brighter than me, college educated, but I just outwork people and I'm just passionate about what I do. The fact that I was able to pull off such a long career and, you know, most radio careers at last, like they're like football careers, like three to five years. You're lucky to have a really good gig for me to work for over 20 years in the number one media market in the world, and then be able to transition to what I'm doing today and being able to help people become podcasters. Like, I'm just so glad that I was able to pull it off. Like even looking back at it, some of the, any of the decisions I made along my, my life could have just gone the wrong way. And uh, I was just really fortunate. So I'm, I'm just proud of the fact that I was just able to pull it off without being like a Nepo baby or having to call yeah. neighbors or having a parent call somebody up. Not that, and not, and again, not that there's anything wrong with any of that. Like I'm not, I'm, I don't get all hung up in the whole thing. Of like, oh, they know who blah, blah, blah. It's like, I, I just know me personally. I can only live in my own skin and I'm just proud that I was just able to do it. Yeah. So what would you say is your biggest accomplishment? Man, I think my biggest, I think my biggest accomplishment is my longevity. I just, I'm really proud of the fact that I've just been able to to last this long doing something I love. Uh, I know that it was touch and go there for a little while when I was making the transition to podcasting from my terrestrial job because I just didn't know what was going to happen next. And uh, luckily, I was able to find a spot here and 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 kind of develop more of my you know muscles when it came to podcasting, become better at it. So I'm super proud of my longevity that I've been able to do it this long and because. Uh, my boss once said to me uh, many years ago, you can't be a DJ without a microphone. And I think that's one of the things that keeps a lot of people in the in the business. Like they'll just do whatever it takes to hold on to that microphone. And my boss who said it is like in his 80s now and he'll probably die with the microphone in his hand. Um, so I've been able to have that microphone for a long time and uh, I'm just going to keep doing it until someone rips it away from me. Yeah, no, I, look, it's one of those things because I remember on all my report cards, it would be like, hey, this kid talks too much. He's a good student. Mm -hmm. He talks too much. And, you know, it's funny that we somehow end up in podcasting. Now, you had a long career. What was the hardest period of, during your career that you went through? 
You know, I think hardest period, and I think it's just in terms of like hard period when it comes to working in the world of entertainment is personality management. Um, and this and this could be almost in any career, just being able to, to work with people and deal with egos. I think that was one of the, I think that was one of the soft skills I was able to to hone and and work through because my the two hosts I was working with are two disparate people, like very different personalities. Both had different wants and needs, and so the hard part was threading that needle. Where if you say one thing to one host, uh, the other host may find offense offense to it, or vice versa. So being able to to deal with talent, I think, was probably the hardest part. Besides the hours, I mean, I used to have to wake up at three o'clock every morning for the show, but that was more of just like physical, yeah. like being able to wake up. But I and I think that's something that we all need to work on. And, and you know, even in my company here, um, I always I, I tell all my coworkers, the folks that hire us, you can't think of them as as clients or customers. You really have to think of them as talent. Yeah, because the when you think of someone as talent, it sort of hyper focuses your deliverables. Like you're, you're, you have to look ahead, like instead of just being like, and I've always been, Janai, I've been so anti project management syndrome. Yeah. America has run into this project, uh, project management syndrome where everything is a box to check. Yeah. And I cannot operate that world. And I think it's just because of where I came from. But like, even now there's more of that mentality of like, that you get first record uh, record the podcast check edit the podcast check uh publish the podcast check like i can't think of it like that uh, to me i always think of things as a whole um so if you ever catch yourself in that where you feel like all you're doing is checking boxes that will never fill your soul like yeah. if that is all you're doing is checking um unless you're really good at it like i could never be a project manager like there's yeah. some people that are amazing at that and god bless you but if if project management is part of your job. That's not your job. Like if you're, if you're a project manager, obviously that's a thing, but like now every job is checking boxes yeah, and, yeah. and that's not fun to me. And I don't think it's fun for most people. So if you can find a way to make that system work with your, with, with your like kind of juju, whatever makes you happy. And that's what I did here. So a lot of times it's like, it was a lot of struggle of like, Oh my God, I got to do this in this order and everything like that. But at the end of the day, if you treat people like talent and you make people feel special and make people feel like you, they're, they've, they're earning your trust and, you, and they feel good about a relationship, that's really what it's all about. Like everything in life is just like building connections with people, whether it's a customer, whether it's a consumer of, of a product, whether it's anything in life, you've got to be able to connect with people and you've just got to find that way. Everyone's got a different way. You just have to find that way. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. Now, let's go into the not having a college degree aspect. Like, hmm. do people have college degrees on podcasts? Does it matter? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, I will say with podcasting, it don't matter. I mean, you could be in prison right now doing a podcast. <laughs> uh, but I think it's important to for folks who, who are looking to go to college to know why you're going to college. Like, if you're going to college for a career that is going to be that, that the, the degree is a necessity, then I think you have to do that. Like if you yeah. were going to cut my body open, I would hope that you went through a series of classes and yeah. multiple degrees to be able to do that. But there are some jobs that you just don't need to, to have a college degree. And I remember, Jenna, it's funny you, you asked that because I, when interns used to work for me, I would ask them, well, hey, what's your degree? And like nine out of 10 times, they would say communications. And I would flippantly say, can you change it? Because you don't need a communication degree to be in radio or television yeah. or any other media. It just is not a thing. But if you want a tangible degree and you want to have a career in, in another field, get an English degree, get a history degree, get something that is tangible that could be used in cross, across, across multiple industries. If you do communications, it's so limiting. First of all, it's to me it's like the jock degree. Like if you yeah. ever watch, uh, you ever watch yeah. college football, like 90% of the players are all going for me communication. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Yeah. <laughs> it's because they don't want to work that hard in college. They just want to play their sports and then, you know, hopefully get a degree or whatnot. So uh, in terms of needing a degree, absolutely not. If you want one, go for it. But, uh, and I wrote a blog about this the other day, do something you want to do don't do anything you sh you think you should do. Yeah. Because if you're going to college just because, 
And just because, like, it's sort of like this, um, uh, uh, Janiah, we talked about on my podcast, the, like the college industrial complex, where we were all trained that you go to school, you go to college, you get married, you go to kid, you have kids, you, you, you die. You know, that's, that, that's sort of like this linear way of life that's existed on in, in America since the industrial revolution, but times have changed. You don't have to live that way. So if you if you want to go to college, please, God bless you, go to college, but make sure you're getting something out of it and not because you feel like you should do it. Yeah. Um, and it's, and you do a podcast, do a podcast. Now, if you're a kid in high school, listening to this right now, start doing a podcast. If you're getting grammar school, ask your parents, do a podcast. And then who knows, maybe down the line, your podcast is going to be a narrative podcast about the civil war. You know, what would help with that having a history degree. <laughs> so if you're able to connect the dots in terms of like your education and what content you want to create, maybe going to school will help you because it'll give you that structure. Like I know if I wanted to do a biography or a podcast about history, man, if I had a history degree, that would have come in really, really helpful. Um, so thinking about it like that, thinking of it outside of the box as to why you think that degree would be helpful. I think that's why you would pursue a college career. But when it comes to being a podcaster or working in any media, the, I think the only reason you would do it is for the networking opportunities. A lot of these schools have great uh, communication programs. And I'm not saying about degrees. I'm saying like they have like TV studios, they yeah. have radio studios. You don't have to have a, you don't have to be a communication student to work in any of these things. Um, so take advantage of those opportunities within your school, then getting internships because internships nowadays are really difficult unless you have, unless you're pursuing college credits. So think about that when it comes to, uh, you know, if you want to work in, in a more traditional media field, like they're not going to just take any kid off the street. Usually it'll, it'll be for college credits. So I think that's important. So if you think you want to follow that traditional media path of working for uh, you know legacy television, radio, film company, that college will come come into play because they're going to look for college students for their internship program. So it's, it's a lot of trying to, to, to read the tea leaves and look into the future. Um, but that's why it's always a great that like, you don't have to be 18 and 19 to go to college. You go to college when you're 25 or 30. Yeah. So give yourself time, give yourself some grace to figure out what you want to do in life. Yeah. So now you, you've had a long career. What are your future goals now? Um, you know what? I kind of just want to keep parlaying like what I've done to do other things. So a couple of things that I've, I've accomplished was, um, so when I came to work here at Forbes books, I, I've realized that a lot of stuff I knew most people didn't know. So I wrote a book. Like I never thought, Janine, I was not one of these people who had like a book bucket list person. Like I want to write a book one day. I never thought in a million years that my life would be worthy of a book, but I realized that there was a lot of stuff I learned that could help other people. So I wrote a book. Uh, a few years ago, um, if you're if you live in New York, it's I think it's a law that you have to take a screenwriting class. So I took a screenwriting class in New York, and I started becoming I became friends with a fellow screenwriter, and we made a short film. I didn't go to film school. My 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 co-director did not go to film school. We kind of just made a film on our own. We kind of met people. We networked. We we self-financed it ourselves, and maybe one day we'll decide to turn that into a series for Hulu or Netflix or something like that. So I, I, I'm just kind of open to opportunities for what I've been able to do, and I think I did that with radio too. Janai, when I was working at my day job, you know, six to ten in the morning, I was always looking for opportunities outside of what my job did because because of what I was doing, I was connected to so many industries. So I was. I was making connections and people in the newspaper industry, the TV industry, film industry, publicity people. Um, so for anyone out there who's just curious about like what they want to do for the, with their life, always keep your eyes open for different possibilities because the, because as we've been discussing, you know, life's not this linear path. There's all these little different tangents that you take. And if you keep yourself open to doing new things, uh, that will, that will really fill your soul in a way that you have no idea instead of just having that one job, that's going to pay uh, your rent, pay buy a house, you know, feed a family. But if you're able to do other things, so I think, you know, I know it's a long answer to your question though, Janiyad. It's it's like, to me, it's like, I'm just open to all the possibilities that I can, I, I can even, not even fathom at this moment as we're discussing, but just being a lookout, like learning things. Like I started blogging this year. I never thought of myself as someone to blog, but now I really enjoy it. And now I treat it as sort of like we'd start at the top. You know, it's a profession. I mean, like I know every week I got to get a blog out. 
Maybe there's three people reading it. One's my mom. I don't care. I enjoy the process of doing it. If someone gets something out of it, awesome. So that's me. I think that's just being open to, to you know, the old adage of old dogs, new tricks. I, I think that's bullshit. I think you can constantly learn. Uh, it's the old money ball thing, adapt or die. So I'm, I'm just constantly trying to stay up with the times and learn things and just be the best version of me I can be. No, I love that perspective and I love that attitude. It's like you have this learning mindset and it just really shows that if you have it, doesn't matter how long you have it, it, it goes pretty far and it takes you far. So final question. This is going to be interesting. If you saw 18-year-old Joe walking across the street, what would you tell him? Um, I would say take more risks. Since I got a job so early, like I mentioned, I was 20 when I got my first full-time job in Radio New York. And there was a level of safeness. The fact that, cool, I'm going to do this job and I'm going to love doing it. And I'm not going to think about doing other things. Um, so I, and I never thought about like going to another radio station or going to another city. Um, and I don't know if it's, it was fear-based or comfort or maybe a combination of the two. Um, I wish I took more risk. And I think that was sort of like, it's, it's sort of like the double-edged sort of like finding your calling so early in life that you've, you are afraid to try other things or even just not do what you chose to do because something else came up. So I would say, and this is for anyone listening, 18 year old person out there, you know, don't be afraid to take risks because when you're 18 and if you have a solid base, if you're blessed with a great family that who's looking out for you, you know, take those swings and try new things. And, um, yeah, I think that would, if I, if I spoke to 18 year old me, I'd be like, take more risks. And, you know, take big swings because you, who knows what could happen. And, and I've always been fortunate tonight. I've had a great family, uh, love and support of me. You know, I, I always talk about the fact that my mother said to me and my brother, when we were growing up, she says, I don't care what you guys do for a living, as long as you're happy and you're nice to people. Uh, and I know that's a very basic way of, of living. And I know it's hard to live that way, but I feel like me and my brother have both sort of like emulated what my mother wanted from us to just find something we love and be nice to people. And that's, you know, something that, you know, we don't, we all have bad days. And sometimes I wasn't always nice to people. And, but if, as long as you're trying to improve yourself and be nice to people and do things that make you happy, that's, I mean, that's all we, that's all we got on this planet. You know, I mean, we can make all the money in the world, but we could also be miserable. Uh, so yeah, just, uh, I think that's sort of like the, what I would, uh, would have said to my 18 year old self, but yeah, I feel like I, I I did pretty good. No, I think you did well. I think you did amazing. And I look forward to doing part two whenever you have your next 20-year career and all that. <laughs> so is there anything you want to promote? Uh, well, I'm very Googleable, Janayat. So if you Google Joe Partavila, you'll find my podcast, my book, uh, my blog. Uh, I'm very active on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Uh, and my book, Good Listen, is available on Amazon on all book formats, audiobook, ebook, and paperback. Oh, awesome. Thank you for your time, Joe. This was such a cool episode and I'm glad we got to do it. Thank you, bro. Good seeing you. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com.